Good morning, Mars Hill. It's good to see you. If we haven't met, my name's Tim Nelson, and I was today years old when I wrote this sermon. <laughs> but uh, I'll say this. <laughs> um, well, and Eric, thanks for being here. Um, I don't, yeah. Uh, that third song we sang, Only You, I believe Eric wrote that, um, and there's a line in there. Can we go back to the last verse of that song, if you could? Um, it says, where were you when the stars sang out? And that's a moment I, I feel personally right now, and I also feel for our church, just say, we weren't there. Who are we that God uses us? welcomes us, invites us, blesses us, gives generously to us. So it's with that spirit, I, I'd love to encounter the text with you this morning. Can we do that? All right. Um, today we're going to look at two stories from yesterday. Uh, one text that came in the pre-dawn light and a little peek into eternity. <laughs> so I want to bring you back to yesterday. Uh, we're in my kitchen with my family, and we had just gotten back from my daughter's birthday party, and uh, we had like a, the donut buffet, the roller skating rink, like it was really sweet. She had attention and tons of her favorite thing in the world, which is like sugar. Um, and so, you know, life is good for her. And all of a sudden, she's kind of doing her thing, opening her gifts, and then she hears the crinkle of a candy wrapper that her little brother is opening. And he opens this little tiny candy. And the next thing you know, she says one of the most despised phrases in my children's vocabulary. That's not fair. I, I guess not. Gosh. And so that's not fair. And on, on our drives to school in the mornings, I get a chance to pray with our kids. We listen to Encanto for the 50th time. We do all these things. But one, every once in a while, I will uh, have them repeat after me, life is not fair. And so it should be in them. But in these moments, it doesn't seem to be when life really seems not fair. And I think that we get those urges too. And sometimes it's so critical, it's so, so bound up in us that it almost feels like it's not just life is not fair, but we think God is not fair. And you're probably right. So let's take a look at this text in Matthew 20, if you would. We're going to have it on the, on the slide for you, but if you feel like pulling it up, it's in your Bible. <laughs> yeah, don't know what page, but it's in there. Anyway. So it starts like this. This is, this is Jesus speaking a parable. Take note of these first words. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. And so they went. And then he went out about noon and then about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, uh, he went out and found still others standing around looking for work, day laborers, right? He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? 
Because no one's hired us, they answered. Okay. So he said to them, you also, go, go work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his supervisor, the foreman who's overseeing the work, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going on to the first. The workers who were hired about, about five in the afternoon came and received their denarius. So when those came they, who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received the denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. Don't I have the right to do with my own money what I want? Or have you become envious because I am generous? And so the last will be first, and the first will be last. The word of the Lord. That verse 15, that last slide, if you want to go back, this, this is a convicting story. Much of it doesn't sit great with me. And I love the, the, the humanization of the response of the landowner. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Where were you when the stars sang out, right? Or are you envious because I am generous? And so like any good movie, any good story really, especially like a, a Pixar movie, this, this parable plays at multiple levels, right? You know what I'm talking about with Pixar? Everybody loves the cute story, but there's also funny stuff that the adults laugh at too, right? And I think there's multiple levels to this particular story as well. Uh, really concretely, I think these parables reveal to us uh, a, a character aspect of God and a, and a challenging aspect of God's kingdom. Looking at this, this character piece, God, or the landowner figure, is not fair as we would think of it at all. And thanks be to God for that. Even if you are not the worker who starts at five, thanks be to God that God is not fair in giving us what we deserve or what we even what we think we want. The fairness of God is our characteristic, mostly of, of Western, economically-minded Christians who put that on God. But we're reading a different testament, a different story of a God who doesn't come from that framework. So thanks be to God that God is far better than fair, generous. I couldn't help but thinking as we're singing those opening songs that, that God has given us this world of rocks and trees, and skies and seas, the wonders God has wrought for us to play in to take in, fills our lungs with God's breath and continues to allow us to exist. This is a generous God that is pointed to in this text. Even, even when he encounters the workers who've been standing around all day, confused. They can, we can think of it as confusion. I mean, I think it's, it's easy to be like, well, they just must have been lazy. But friends, you and I know that production... Getting things done in January and February are tough, even around the house. 
Most of the time, it's hacking your way through your own malaise of what, what am I here for? What do I really need to get done today? What do I need to do? And so this landowner comes to these folks who I think are probably more confused than they are lazy and saying, come, be a part of this thing I have going on. I'm giving you a sense of purpose and a place to belong. The blessings of this generous God even go out to bring us in like another parable Jesus tells Go to the countrysides and invite everybody to the wedding banquet. Come on in. And so I think this story points to a God who is generous in character. Abundant and reckless with love. To the extent that we would say he's just irresponsible with money and time and kisses. Right? This is that God this parable is pointing us to. But outside of the character, I think there's a challenge as well that this God is not fitting into our boxes or the patterns that we believe God should be put in. Right? A good, a good landowner would probably work out some sort of economic incentive for his workers. Is this a sustainable model of payment? The parable doesn't point to that. The parable's probably unconcerned. Not that we shouldn't work at being very good stewards of the things God has given us generously, but to say there's something else going on here. There's a, there's a breaking apart of the paradigm that I bring to this parable, and maybe you do too, to say God isn't concerned so much with these things, but is very concerned with blessing the people who are involved in the vineyard. And to us, I think the challenge is to say, wow, what do I need to, what does this mean as I rethink what I do with money and time? And maybe less concretely, but more integrated into the rest of our lives, how then do we think about the other people we are interacting with? I think there's a quote from Henry Nouwen who said, we spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about and judging the lives of other people. And I think this is an invitation to us to be grateful for the work that is in front of us and the God who offers it to us. And so maybe on, on a very uh, base level, the gospel for you and I today is simply that God is generous and God's character is overflowing and abundant in steadfast love. And maybe the challenge for us today is that God wants to blow open our categories of what we think is right. Even if there's some tension there with Econ 101 from high school, but maybe more apt to us with kind of the way we see other people. Maybe that's a challenge that is in front of you and I this morning. So let that good news land and name it. God has blessed us and does not leave us alone. Now, there's also some deeper levels to this text as well, which I'm very excited to explore just briefly. This, this is teaching us, is, is telling us something more, even about the character of God. If we want to go back to the slide, it's uh, verse, uh, middle, of, middle of the verses in there. <laughs> Uh, the foreman, when he goes to pay them, that, that one, it's really good. Um, what's fascinating to me is the way this story is put together. Now, 
I'm someone who can be conflict avoidant. If there's not a person, if there's not a reason for said conflict, I'd rather just kind of step aside, right? So I would say, let's pay the workers who he got here first, let's pay them out and send them on their way. And then I'll pay the ones who got here last, right? Everybody avoids the conflict. But that's not what happens in this story. The foreman is told to pay those who were started work at five near the end of the day with really one hour or less to work. That means they probably just got their stuff on and wandered around the vineyard, right? <laughs> they get paid first. It's as if the landowner wants those who started early in the morning to see this happened. Because I think the landowner is teaching them something longer term. He's not creating conflict for conflict's sake just for that day. The landowner, in this case God, the, the God character, is saying, I care about the long-term formation of you, the worker who started early in the day. I want you to see something, I want to reveal something to you so that you can be formed for the long haul. So I'm going to pay these people out who didn't work very long, barely at all, the same as you, to teach you something about my character and then also form us for the road ahead. Attention to this. Um, we're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture a little bit. Because there's some other places this text harkens us to. So if you look at verse 12 um, in the text, this is where the complaints start to roll in. After the pay starts being doled out. Those who started early in the day says this, You have made them equal to us. We have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. The heat of the day. If you want to search your biblical imagination, in the middle of this outburst, this person uses this phrase, in the heat of the day. Not the heat of the moment, we're not going to start singing, but the heat of the day. Where do you, where do you see that in scripture? There's a couple of places that come to mind right away. One is Jonah, he rests under a tree in the heat of the day. And the other is Abraham, even farther back in Genesis, who is resting under a tree in the heat of the day when he's encountered by these others, these angels, we say. And both of those texts would come to mind for the Jewish listener when they hear Jesus speak this parable. And those two texts point to two things, very similar, radical, generous hospitality. When these visitors encounter Abraham when he's resting in the heat of the day, even though he is not feeling well, he is healing from surgery, he gets up and he fixes them this giant, lavish feast. Again, the abundant, generous God. The other one, Jonah, is downright angry because God had shown abundant mercy and overflowing love to those Gentiles, those Ninevites. And so already, uh, Jesus, who's telling this story, is poking at the minds and imaginations of these Jews, saying there's something here about radical hospitality, generosity, and mercy, and it's something long-term. And yet, there's also something else to this phrase, in the heat of the day. This, this was, my mind was drawn to this by Bible, Bible teacher uh, Marty Solomon. And he, he says the rabbis have often used this phrase through the centuries to talk about the way that the Jews had borne the burden of the law, of the Torah, in the heat of the day on behalf of the Gentiles. So there is something that these workers who start early are doing to benefit those who start late. 
in the case of the Jews holding the law up before the rest of the Gentile world for generations and generations to show them what God is like. It makes you wonder, and I, I think it's a fair assumption to say that Jesus is saying to this Jewish audience that those who are starting at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. in this story are the Gentiles. They're the the others, those who have not been blessed and called by God in the first century Jewish mind. And I, don't, I didn't think I read the parable that way, but I think I did. That I pictured those late workers to be others. Because I wouldn't be the one who said that's not fair. No child of mine would utter those words. Right? That wouldn't be us. And so Jesus is inviting multiple considerations of self-reflection and conviction upon the hearers of this text. So where else can Scripture interpret this parable for us? Well, if you look around, late in the book of Isaiah 61, you get this text, 61.5. It says this, Strangers will shepherd your flocks and foreigners will work your vineyards. Gentiles will work the vineyards. And so too, I think Jesus is poking at this in the mind of his listeners saying, wait a minute, there's something there. Because this Isaiah 61 text, if you've, you've probably heard bits and pieces of it, Jesus even quotes this. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because God has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim release to the captives. Those are the verses preceding this one. Strangers will shepherd your flocks and foreigners will work your vineyard. Something about this text, something about what Jesus is hearkening to mind for his listeners is saying, wait a minute, there's something future-oriented to be aware of. Maybe what God is doing in this parable is preparing us for that someday. Because what follows that text in Isaiah 51 is this, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and the riches on their riches you will boast. Instead of shame, you'll receive a double portion of grace. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so what I think this is telling us as we look deeper into this multiple layer parable, that what is happening in the situation where people are griping about not getting a fair wage is Jesus is saying, this situation is preparing for you something that has to do with eternity, something about kingdom come, something about the kingdom of God is like this. Because he starts the parable, the kingdom of heaven is like and so outside of a challenge to us and to seeing and the beautiful avenue to see this, this generous God, there's a formational edge to this parable that I think we would do well to pay attention to for the long haul. What's happening now inside us is preparing us for something later on. Yesterday as well, having a conversation about 24 hours ago, we're driving back from my son's basketball game. This is our 10-year-old. And he had his first, like, marked assignment in hoops. So you can throw, throw this picture on the screen. He is there on your right. And he was set to guard the star of the league. Right? This kid's been putting up big numbers every game. And they were like, Eli, you got to hold him. And he held him to four points all game. He did an amazing job. I was so proud. 
clearly I still am a little proud because this picture's up here in front of a lot of people. But we get to the car and I'm like, man, you did it. You shut him down. You got low. You played great D. You were on it. You know, you, it's hard to watch the ball and the, your man. You're right. We're working on that kind of a thing. And I'm saying all this great stuff. And he's like, yeah, but we lost. I was like, yeah, 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 but, but, but you got to see this. No, dad, we lost the game. And finally we had some breakthrough, but, but for me, I realized it was so much easier to say, look at what's happening inside of you. Your skills are growing. You're maturing as a player. Your vision for the court is so much better. You're passing, you're doing all these things. And I see this as a small step in his long arc of basketball formation to be a part of something as a really well-developed player. And he's like, yeah, we lost the game. He was, he was proud of shutting this kid down. It's pretty, it was pretty sweet. But, but he was bummed about the game. And I think that's, that's part of this dynamic that we got to find ourselves in when we read this parable. To say, but, but you made them equal to us. We didn't get the same. It wasn't fair. This isn't right. Something, something is not well in this situation. And there is an aspect to this where I think God is saying, yes, but, but if you could see what I see, what this is preparing in you, you may react differently. Now, I, I don't say that as to dismiss problems or issues or to belittle any of our experiences. That, that's been done too often to say, yeah, but look what God's building for eternity. Yeah. But I do think there's an active participatory work of formation that is happening when we, in the characters of texts like this and in us, if we put ourselves there. That, that what God is doing in these situations where we say, that's not fair, that doesn't feel good, I don't like that, you've made them like us, I feel helpless, I feel cheated. Or there's just a boiling anxiety that you can't put words to. In those situations, I think there are two invitations for us in how to respond that are laid out uh, in a text like this. The first is maybe instead of an invitation to be formed for later, there's an invitation to be formed for now. So that when this problem, whatever it is, presents itself, it, it's an, uh, a prompting to connect with the Lord. What if, instead of raising their hands and saying, that's not fair, you've made them equal to us, something is not right here, or us who feel the, the, the pain or the burden, or that's not right, you're wrong, I'm being cheated, or a deep sense of anxiety, what if, what if those problems were the promptings for us to pray and connect with God? So what if, what if as part of our longer term formation, when those moments come forward, the invitation is to stop and recognize that Christ had never left you. The vineyard owner was still caring for these people. They were still getting the agreed upon pay for the day. Christ is present. We have ample reminders, even though it's hard to see, that Christ is with us and will provide for us. And so what if, what if this moment is a prompting to pause and pray? That in the moment of anxiety, or that's not fair, or we lost this, or it's not going well, this relationship is a bust. I don't know how this is going to go. I've lost this, or I can't see the future in this. What if that was a present moment for our long-term formation to say, 
You have known my every situation and your love knows no bounds. Where was I when you laid the foundations of the world, harkening back to the book of Job? And yet God has held us and protected us and provided for us. That's something that over time prompts a different reaction in us so that we would not be those who raise the hand and say, that's not fair. Instead, there's a moment in the presence of God To also look long-term, I think with this parable's tie to Isaiah 61, we can't help but, but look at the kingdom of God as like. So when we find ourselves in the new heavens and the new earth, we want to be people who are formed in the virtues of heaven. And this happens over the long term. One of the things I love when I can pitch the formation school to people, this is a program that I have the pleasure of directing here at Mars Hill. We're on our fourth cohort of folks who have gone through this year-long cohort-based spiritual formation journey where we're going to say, we're going to dig in deeply to encountering God's presence in all of the directions that we profess here at Mars Hill, forward, backward, upward, withward, and uh, outward. It was going to be on the sermon notes I don't have. And so, (laughs) what a pleasure, though, to talk about, hey, let's dig into this over the long haul. Let's see what God can do in a year. You know, it's often said that, that we far overestimate what we can do in eight hours and way underestimate what we can do in a year. And so to be present with people as we take a year-long journey to say, look what God is doing over the long haul. And I think there's a long haul bit to this text when, we, when, we, when it opens with the kingdom of heaven is like. That God is preparing us for eternity. Not because that's when it just goes, all right, game over, time out, I'm just chilling with my harp on the cloud. No, because I think we get a chance to greater participation in the reality of worship and the outworking of what it means to have a fully flourishing life of abundance and shalom when the new heavens and the new earth is where we find ourselves. And we want to be prepared as citizens of that place. And so this work that God is doing in us now, even into the older years, when it feels like there's a lot of boxes you have checked in your life. Jesus is still doing something in you, preparing you for eternity. Not as an escape from the present, but to say the work that God is doing in and through us now really matters. And it's those situations where we are confronted with anxiety, injustice, problems, and relationships that are not working. That in that moment, God is attempting to form us, not as those who raise a hand and say, that's not fair. But as those who are able to say, Christ is with me. God, you have known my every situation and you have provided for me. And so what God has been doing all throughout time, even inviting his, Jesus's listeners in Matthew 20 to say, let's not be like that because the kingdom of heaven is like this. This is the kingdom of heavens where God provides and meets our need and encounters us in the moment of anxiety, in the moment of stress, in the, in the problem, in the despair. 
is where God chooses to invite us yet again to consider God's generosity. Philippians 4 is where we ended our, our teaching two weeks ago. And I think it's a, an appropriate place to end at this particular moment. In the midst of wondering who, what happens when it's not fair? Who's providing for me in these moments? Paul offers this. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That in the moment of pain, God meets us. I love this quote from Julian of Norwich, someone who lived with a lot of pain and could quickly at any moment say, it's not fair what I'm going through. She says this, grace transforms our failings, full of dread into abundant, endless comfort. Our failings full of shame into a noble, glorious rising. Our dying full of sorrow into holy, blissful life. Just as our contrariness here on earth brings us pain, shame, and sorrow, so grace brings us surpassing comfort, glory, and bliss in heaven, in the kingdom of God. And that shall be a property of blessed love that we shall know in God, which we might never have known without first experiencing woe. And so friends, if, if nothing else, I pray this text pushes at some stuff in us, pushes at our judgment of what's fair and not fair and what should be and shouldn't be, our judgment of other people. I hope it, it points at a generous, abundant, loving God. And I also pray that it invites us to consider where God is meeting us in the middle of all of that. And, and sometimes the only appropriate response is to take everything that's going on inside of you and lift it up to the Lord. Not lifting a hand and saying, that's not fair, this is not the way it should be, but lifting up our souls and our hearts to God, that God might meet us and renew us. And so we do that corporately. So we begin kind of the, the table liturgy where we encounter Christ at this meal. It starts with this, the Lord be with you. So lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks and praise to our God. Thanks and praise. So let us pray. God, you meet us in our places of sorrow, in our place of frustration, and you invite us to a better way. And so we bring what we have, our questions, doubts, hopes, and we come to the table where you meet us once again. And so we fix our eyes on you, Lord, and we say, how right and how good and how joyful a thing it is that, Lord, at all times and in all places, we give thanks to you, God Almighty, for you are the creator of heaven and earth. And therefore, we praise you, Lord, for who you are and what you have done, joining our voices with all 
all of creation that sings your glory, that this is my Father's world. And we join with all the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so God, we, we ask that you would send your spirit on what looks to us, what can look to us as these simple things. The bread, Lord, that we bless and the cups that are scattered around a room at these tables. God, would you, would you make them something? Would you make them both spiritual food for our journey? Would you provide for us? And would they also be your presence and the promise of the body of Christ so that we would be filled with your healing and mercy and that we would look to you, God of heaven and earth. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So friends, we come to this table the table that cuts across time and space, the table in which Jesus sat with his disciples on the night which he was betrayed, where he took the bread and he broke it. And then afterwards, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. That's the meal that we get to partake in. And we do it as a community at these, these four tables around the room. We have a chance for you to linger and pray, to be prayed with and prayed over, um, and also to have a chance to put your own prayers in, in the wall and know that you'll be prayed for. And so, body of Christ, let's come together around the table, the table that is hosted by Jesus Christ, where blessing flows. So come, friends, let us take and eat and receive who we are, the body of Christ.